The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. Lies, spies, and desperate guys. This is Thursday, November 29th, 2018. Thank you very much for your time and for supporting this independent news by patronizing my sponsors and through the PayPal donate button at buzzburbank.com. Donald Trump has wanted and still wants a wall. He does not want the walls that are closing in around him. Walls don't move quickly or easily, but they do move, however painfully slow. It's taken these walls two years and four months to move toward the center. The walls closing in on Trump can't move in much closer, as it appears special counsel Robert Mueller, whose job it is to find a connection between the Trump campaign and Russian interference in the 2016 election, is nearly finished. It began, unbeknownst to anyone else at the time, in July of 2016 when the FBI launched its investigation into that very thing. While Clinton's emails were front-page news, the investigation into Trump's campaign ties to Russia had already begun in secret. It wasn't until March of 2017 that James Comey would reveal that investigation. Two months later, Comey was fired by a president who said, it was because of the Russia investigation. Eight days later, a former Marine and highly respected Republican prosecutor for President Reagan and both Bushes, Robert S. Mueller III, was appointed to finish what the FBI had started. Now, 19 months later, nearly three dozen people have been indicted on everything from hacking to obstruction of justice, including Russians and officials of the Trump campaign. Several wound up behind bars or they're awaiting sentencing, or some of them cooperating with prosecutors hoping for a lighter sentence. The two top officials in the Trump 2016 campaign are now going to prison, one perhaps with a lighter sentence, depending on how helpful he is to Mueller. Trump's first national security advisor will do time also, but he too is cooperating. When it comes to Trump's finances, federal investigators now have the cooperation of Trump's former personal lawyer and his longtime accountant. New York State is looking into the president's so-called charity, the Donald J. Trump Foundation. And now, one of the president's sons is in legal peril as these various walls close in. It was Donald Trump Jr. who orchestrated the infamous Trump Tower meeting with Russian operatives. Also in jeopardy, longtime Trump advisor Roger Stone, who appears to be the connection between the emails stolen by Russia and published by WikiLeaks. A longtime Stone associate cooperated briefly as he also faces legal trouble. Trump himself would be facing charges if either he knew his campaign was conspiring with Russia or even if he simply tried to block the investigation into it. And has he ever tried to block that investigation? From the firing of the FBI director to appointing an acting attorney general who's clearly biased for Trump and against the Mueller probe. Still, there's been a lot accomplished by Robert Mueller in these 19 months. While it has seemed an eternity to many Americans, it's remarkably fast for criminal justice. Mueller found the Russian trolls and hackers and the details of their work. He's gotten plea deals and indictments and documents. He's put people in prison. Right now, he's poring over Trump's written answers to a limited series of questions, but there are still questions to be answered. It could be another six months, or it could be today, when Robert Mueller produces his report. On that subject, CNN reports that it's been told by two sources Trump's answers to two of Mueller's questions about collusion. 
CNN says its sources agree that Trump, to the best of his recollection, was not told of the 2016 meeting between his son, his son-in-law, his campaign manager, and Russians offering dirt on Clinton. And Trump says he was not told by Roger Stone about the WikiLeaks dump of Democratic emails that had been stolen by Russian hackers. Trump's story matches those of Roger Stone, Donald Trump Jr., and the president's own public statements. But if they don't match the truth in Robert Mueller's possession, it opens Trump up to criminal charges. And the Mueller report is just about ready. Also looming over the president, as if all that weren't enough, a defeat in the midterms, the likes of which we've not seen since Nixon resigned, and a new Democratic House ready to investigate everything, finally armed with the power to subpoena documents and witnesses. The president can expect to see an estimated 85 subpoenas from the Democratic House, each connected somehow to him, everything from Russia to the lackluster response to Hurricane Maria's devastation of Puerto Rico. The newest investigation, the use of private email for public business by first daughter Ivanka, the very behavior that moved his red hats to shout, lock her up, about Hillary Clinton. More than at any other moment in his life, Trump is in a corner. Four corners, actually. And they're closing in. The seriousness of his situation shows in Trump's recent behavior, appointing an acting attorney general to protect him, trying to ban a reporter from the White House, criticizing the admiral who led the capture of Osama bin Laden, suggesting raking the forests to prevent fires, getting the name of a devastated town wrong, giving thanks for all he's done for the country and turning a Thanksgiving call to the troops into a political tirade, attacking the courts, authorizing military force against Honduras, migrants fleeing murder and poverty, flirting with closing the border, calling Congressman Adam Schiff Adam Shit with two T's instead of two F's, doubting the CIA and covering for a prince who ordered the murder of a U.S. resident who was also a journalist with an American newspaper. And after another wave of Twitter rants from Trump, Michael Steele, the former chairman of the Republican National Committee, responded, just shut the hell up and get on the helicopter. Give us a rest from your crazy... What makes his shrinking base happy makes Trump happy. There would appear to be nothing he would enjoy more than locking up the target of his followers' hatred, Hillary Clinton, and James Comey, too. Trump apparently believed that as president, he'd be able to deliver on his promise to lock her up, to make the cheers at his rallies even louder. He was wrong. Presidents can request, but cannot order investigations. We learned from the New York Times over the Thanksgiving break that Trump had once asked then-White House counsel Don McGahn to get the Justice Department to investigate Clinton. Trump repeatedly called on then-Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and Rosenstein's Chief of Staff Matt Whitaker how the investigation was going into Clinton, but they refused to talk. Trump repeatedly publicly criticized new FBI Director Chris Wray, calling him weak for not going harder after Hillary Clinton. Launching investigations against his political enemies looks vindictive because it is. Quoting former Nixon White House counsel John Dean, this is what an autocrat does. And in Watergate, it was Nixon's fingers in the Justice Department that revealed a misuse of executive power worthy of impeachment. In the present... Former White House counsel Don McGahn told Trump that to launch these investigations would likely lead to his own impeachment for abusing his executive branch powers. McGahn and others may have saved Trump 
the day they advised him not to order investigations of Clinton and Comey. But knowing that Trump had tried to do just that is more fodder for the obstruction of justice case against the president. More about investigating Clinton and Comey in a moment. Special counsel Robert Mueller wants Trump 2016 campaign manager Paul Manafort to go to jail. Directly to jail. Now. Mueller's prosecutors say the plea deal with Manafort is off because they say he has lied repeatedly while he claimed to be cooperating with investigators. The Mueller team isn't saying what Manafort lied about or how it knows he lied, just that he did and that it can prove it when the time comes. With the Manafort plea deal off, it means Trump's 2016 campaign chairman will likely spend the rest of his life in prison. He no longer qualifies for a break on his sentence. He could, however, be pardoned by a desperate president. But the end of that plea deal is a setback for those who believed Mueller had cornered Manafort into spilling the beans about the Trump campaign in Russia. In the words of Joyce Vance, a law professor and former federal prosecutor, what is he hiding that is worse than going to jail for the rest of your life? Or as others have wondered, is Manafort not cooperating because he's still expecting that presidential pardon? Yesterday, the New York Times reported while Manafort was pretending to cooperate with Mueller, he was simultaneously feeding every question, every answer, and everything else that Mueller's people had said back to Trump. More precisely, one of Manafort's lawyers was passing these things along to Trump's lawyers. These two legal defense teams have a joint defense agreement that allows them to share information helpful to their clients. That in itself is not an unusual arrangement. Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani confirms that such an agreement does still exist between Team Trump and Team Manafort and that it continued throughout the period in which Manafort was supposedly cooperating with prosecutors when he was instead lying through his teeth and spying on behalf of the man who could keep him out of prison. The President of the United States was working with a convicted felon to get intel on the investigation into that president. Giuliani says Team Manafort was able to provide a lot of valuable information to Team Trump about the Mueller investigation. The inner workings of the Mueller investigation are a total mess, tweeted Trump earlier this month. Wait, what? How does the president know anything about the inner workings of an investigation in which he is a person of interest? We now know that information was coming from Paul Manafort, who was also giving Trump fodder to keep trying to discredit the Mueller probe. They have found no collusion and have gone absolutely nuts, Trump tweeted. They are screaming and shouting at people, horribly threatening them to come up with the answers they want. They are a disgrace to our nation and don't care how many lives they ruin, Trump wrote. And then he wrote some more. These are angry people, he continued, including the highly conflicted Bob Mueller, who worked for Obama for eight years. Trump didn't mention the Republican presidents Mueller had served, nor did he explain just how Mueller is conflicted. At this point, Trump's tirade had turned to falsehoods and pointing toward others. They won't even look, tweeted Trump, at all the bad acts and crimes on the other side. And then in his trademark all caps, a total witch hunt like no other in American history, with an exclamation mark in case you missed the all caps. And all of this even after Trump had installed a new boss at the Justice Department just in time to save him from all the angry Democrats he keeps tweeting about. A new attorney general 
who can, like Manafort, spy on the Mueller probe, in addition to A.G. Whitaker's ability to choke off that investigation. Note, there have been no indictments from Mueller in the three weeks since Matt Whitaker became the acting attorney general. Still, the president's behavior grows increasingly desperate. The walls Donald Trump didn't want are closing in faster now. Joint defense agreements are usually voided when one of the clients flips to testify for prosecutors. In a case such as this, to tip off the client who hasn't flipped could easily make a case for obstruction of justice. That means in tipping off the president, Manafort and the lawyer who took the info to Trump's lawyers could face obstruction charges, criminal charges, federal felony charges. The expectation here is that Manafort was trying to help Trump to get the president to grant him a pardon before Manafort is sent back to prison to stay. Mueller is extremely unhappy about Manafort's lies and this apparent obstruction of justice. And the word around D.C. is, don't piss off Robert Mueller. It might be unwise also to displease the incoming Democratic House. The man poised to run the House Judiciary Committee warns that, quote, even dangling a pardon for Paul Manafort would fortify a charge of obstruction of justice. Offering a pardon can also be considered a bribe. And yesterday, just as he had back in March, Trump said pardoning Manafort is not off the table. That is the same offense that led to the impeachments of Bill Clinton and Richard Nixon before him, Nixon resigning in disgrace. Mueller's investigators have also lost a plea deal with Jerome Corsi, an associate of Trump ally Roger Stone, who appears to be tied to the WikiLeaks release of stolen Democratic emails. Stone is a longtime political dirty trickster and a longtime friend and unofficial advisor to Trump. Corsi is a conspiracy theorist who believes, among other things, that the moon landing was faked and that Barack Obama was never really president because Obama, supposedly not born in the U.S., a falsehood also promoted by Trump. Corsi is also the apparent conduit between Roger Stone and WikiLeaks. As Stone bragged during the campaign, he'd had back-channel communications with WikiLeaks and that political disaster awaited Hillary Clinton. Corsi had said publicly that he expects to soon be indicted by Mueller for giving false information to the special counsel and or one of Mueller's grand juries. That is why, for the past two months, Corsi has been turning over documents and sitting for six day-long interviews with investigators doing whatever he can to keep from doing too much time in prison. And Corsi's been talking to Mueller as Mueller investigates and files charges against WikiLeaks boss Julian Assange. But now, like George Papadopoulos, Corsi is defiantly standing his ground. And he stopped talking. His plea deal is off. Jerome Corsi says he's rejecting an offer in which he would plead guilty to lying to investigators. Corsi says he didn't lie on purpose, that he instead had forgotten the facts and that his memory wasn't refreshed until he got back a laptop full of emails that he'd turned over to Mueller. Corsi says he knows he's going to prison and that he got the facts wrong, but he says, quote, I did not intentionally lie. Losing Corsi as a cooperating witness and never really having Manafort's cooperation would appear to be setbacks for the Mueller probe. But investigators and prosecutors have all those documents and witnesses and testimony that they have been able to corroborate. They have the email that we now have, thanks to Corsi, from August 2nd, 2016, 
that tells Roger Stone, quote, word is friend in embassy plans two more dumps, one shortly after I'm back, second in October. Impacts plan to be very damaging. And Mueller's investigators know enough to know when Jerome Corsi or Paul Manafort are lying. And we will soon know as well. Mueller has promised the court that he will reveal how he knows Manafort's lying and what Manafort's lying about when Mueller's prosecutors file their sentencing recommendation with the judge just before that sentence is handed down. Mueller's office says that is when the special counsel will outline Manafort's, quote, crimes and lies. With Mueller demanding that Manafort go to prison now, that revelation might not be far away. Mueller may want to sit on that information a bit longer as he continues his investigation. He's that by the book. But Mueller also likely knows that his investigation is in peril with Matt Whitaker now running the Justice Department. The more Mueller gets on record, at least some of what he knows already, the greater the chance the investigation survives. And Trump and Manafort have given Mueller additional motivation to do exactly that. Don't blink. We've also just learned that at about the time that Paul Manafort joined the Trump campaign at no salary, offering to work free, Manafort met secretly with WikiLeaks' Julian Assange at the Ecuadorian embassy in London. This, according to reporting by The Guardian, which has not yet been corroborated by other news outlets, and it seems to come as a surprise to even Mueller's investigators. But The Guardian reports that Ecuadorian intelligence says Manafort was wearing sand-colored chinos, a light-colored shirt, and a cardigan sweater, and that his meeting with Assange lasted about 40 minutes. A few months later, WikiLeaks published Democratic emails that had been stolen by Russia. That meeting is another smoking gun in the apparent collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. Robert Mueller likely already knew that Trump's friend Roger Stone and his campaign manager Paul Manafort had both had contact with the man who had released emails derailing the Clinton campaign. As Trump told a rally in the month before the 2016 election, I love WikiLeaks. We've also just learned that the Mueller team is investigating a meeting in 2017 between Paul Manafort and the president of Ecuador and whether they discussed Julian Assange. Robert Mueller also knows that the WikiLeaks drop came just after candidate Trump had invited Russia to hack Clinton's emails and that Russian hackers did try within hours of Trump's invitation. Former Trump campaign aide George Papadopoulos is now four days into his two-week stay at a federal prison for lying to the FBI about connections between the Trump campaign and Russia. Also defiantly uncooperative, this Trump campaign official had bragged about his connections to Russia and its offer of help for the campaign with material meant to damage Hillary Clinton. On his way to that two-week stay in the federal pen, Papadopoulos tweeted encouragement to Trump supporters, promising to testify publicly to discredit the Russia probe, and added, see you on the other side. It was the day after Thanksgiving that a federal judge gave the green light to a lawsuit by the New York Attorney General accusing the Donald J. Trump Foundation with its charity status as a tool of the 2016 campaign. Trump, says the lawsuit, was involved in both the charity and the campaign it's accused of helping. The charity's money, other people's money actually, also went to a large oil painting of Trump's portrait and to settle lawsuits against the Trump organization, the Trump family business. 
The lawsuit not only names the president and his foundation, but also his children, Don Jr., Ivanka, and Eric. Trump lawyers tried to get the case dismissed, but this federal judge refused to do that. New York State's case goes forward. Just another brick in the walls creeping closer to the president. There are others, Trump supporters, who also believe there should be investigations into Trump's political enemies. Minus another holiday break, Trump supporters in Congress aim to spend their last two months fulfilling Trump's wish to investigate former FBI Director James Comey and former U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch. For the brief time they remain in control of the House, the Republican-led Judiciary Committee has subpoenaed Comey and Lynch to be grilled behind closed doors. They want to ask about how the two handled the investigations of Clinton's emails and how they investigated the Trump campaign's ties to Russia. Comey says he'll appear, but only if the doors are open for all the world to see and hear his testimony. I've seen enough of their selective leaking and distortion, Comey tweeted on Thanksgiving Day. Comey intends to challenge his subpoena in court. Bear in mind, Republicans have the House for another two months, minus their break for the holidays. And then there's acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker, who said in two separate 2016 interviews that Clinton should have been prosecuted for espionage after she used a private server for some State Department emails. He said that if Trump were elected, his administration should restart the Clinton email investigation. In 2017, Trump's acting AG proposed a special counsel to investigate Clinton's emails again, even though the FBI found no reason to press charges. Although Matt Whitaker has said he won't recuse himself from the Russia investigation, as did his predecessor, Jeff Sessions, there is tremendous pressure on Whitaker to recuse because he's friends with a key witness in the Russia probe. Whitaker is close to Trump's foreign policy committee supervisor during the campaign, Sam Clovis, who also served as national co-chair of the Trump campaign. Clovis was a key contact for both George Papadopoulos and Carter Page, who was the subject of a secret intelligence warrant. In fact, it was Sam Clovis who recruited Page and Papadopoulos. And Clovis has been cooperating with Robert Mueller after describing acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker as a dear friend. Whitaker's appointment as acting AG is unconstitutional, according to a lawsuit before the United States Supreme Court. That suit argues that Whitaker is simply not qualified for the job because he has never been confirmed by the Senate, not for this job or any other job he's ever held in government. The suit also accuses Trump of breaking the law by appointing someone other than the deputy attorney general who is next in the chain of command at the Justice Department. That deputy is Rod Rosenstein. The state of Maryland has filed a similar lawsuit saying it should have been Rosenstein, not Matt Whitaker. Whitaker's eligibility to occupy the attorney general's office is also being questioned by a Texas businessman who's accused by the feds of selling substandard pet food ingredients. His lawsuit was originally against Jeff Sessions, but the eligibility of the acting AG who replaced Sessions is now being called into question in this pet food case as part of that lawsuit. Whitaker would seem to be the worst pick ever to be the nation's attorney general running its Department of Justice. The nonpartisan, nonprofit watchdog group American Oversight has called for an investigation into apparently illegal political contributions made to Whitaker, 
while he was a federal employee. Whitaker ran unsuccessfully for an Iowa Senate seat in 2014, but his campaign continued to collect donations while racking up a loan debt of 49 grand, which has still not been repaid. Whitaker got these donations, mostly from his old law firm, just after he started work in the Justice Department as chief of staff for then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions. That made Whitaker the chief of staff for Deputy AG Rod Rosenstein until Trump tapped Whitaker to be his guy at justice. Just in his first three years in D.C., Whitaker got well over a million dollars in donations for a charity that had just one employee, Matt Whitaker. In just nine months, Whitaker had withdrawn over a half million of that as his salary. We do not yet know who made these generous donations, and perhaps we never will. But the Washington Post reports that Whitaker's group his charity, is actually part of a national network of nonprofits working together to promote conservative talking points. The Foundation for Accountability and Civic Trust called itself a nonprofit watchdog group devoted to exposing shady conduct by government officials. As the president of FACT, Whitaker then appeared on radio and TV shows to slam liberals. And the House Democrats, waiting in the wings for majority control, have already opened an investigation into Whitaker's dealings with a patent company accused of cheating investors out of millions. Meet Gerald Nadler of New York. He's about to be the head of the House Judiciary Committee. Meet Adam Schiff with two Fs from California. He's the incoming head of the House Intelligence Committee. And meet Elijah Cummings from Maryland. He's the pending leader of the House Oversight Committee. Nadler, Schiff, and Cummings have together fired off seven letters asking for information on Whitaker's involvement with that patent company. We already know Whitaker used his influence as a former government prosecutor to threaten unhappy customers with, quote, serious civil and criminal consequences. I am a former United States attorney for the Southern District of Iowa, he wrote in his ominous emails. Also, he noted, I also serve on World Patent Marketing's advisory board. Why would Trump pick someone so unqualified, so biased, so apparently crooked? It would appear to be because, like Trump, acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker believes the Russia investigation is a witch hunt and that we should be prosecuting Hillary Clinton instead. Matt Whitaker is here to protect Trump, at least for a little while. Even Senate Republicans are feeling queasy about Matt Whitaker and what might happen to Mueller and how all this could come crashing down on Trump and the party that now bears his trademark. Senate Republicans have been urging Trump to quickly find a new permanent attorney general, preferably someone bipartisan in their approach to the Russia probe. Whitaker is not going to be there long, according to Texas Republican John Cornyn, who's also a skeptic of the Mueller probe. And Oklahoma Republican said the new AG has to be somebody who could convince both parties they wouldn't interfere with the investigation. And now, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says of Whitaker, I think this will be a very interim AG. In a desperate attempt to save his presidency from the waiting arms of law enforcement, Trump has turned to another useful tool— Twitter. After Manafort and Corsi clammed up, Trump tweeted about the phony witch hunt and the angry Dems and how Bob Mueller's the opposite of the saint the fake news media makes him out to be, about Hillary Clinton's emails and the Clinton Foundation, and how Mueller's only looking at, quote, one side and not the other. 
In his three-part tweet, Trump repeatedly attacked Mueller, calling him horrible and vicious and claiming Mueller's doing, quoting again, tremendous damage to our criminal justice system. And Trump referred to the United States Department of Justice, part of his own branch of government, as the Justice Department with the word justice in quotes. Yesterday, Trump retweeted a meme in which his political enemies are photoshopped behind prison bars, including his own current Deputy Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein. Sharing that cell are Robert Mueller, Barack Obama, Eric Holder, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, James Clapper, James Comey, and former Attorney General Loretta Lynch, among others. The means caption reads, Now that Russia collusion is a proven lie, when do the trials for treason begin? The punishment for treason is death. A president unhinged. Trump wasn't trying to just muddy the waters or distract from the legal attention focused on those who've been close to him. He was attacking the nation's law enforcement mechanisms and its system of justice. And Trump's attack on American justice are not limited to just defending himself. That story, the migrant crisis, the crumbling climate, Trump versus GM and Bob Seska after this. Hey, thank you again for using my Amazon link at buzzburbank.com for all your holiday shopping. Your use of that link helps keep this newscast going and free for the listening. So please bookmark it as your shopping button. I got a small commission from Amazon for every purchase you make, so it really helps power this free weekly report. If you'd rather not use my Amazon link, then please support this free independent journalism through the PayPal donate button. Some people do it monthly. At your desktop, it's just under the Amazon button at buzzburbank.com. On your phone, it's just under the title Buzz Burbank News and Comment. And thanks again. You've heard at least some of what Robert Mueller knows. You've heard Trump's strategy for dealing with Mueller's investigation. So who really has the upper hand now? Salon.com's Bob Seska says, advantage Mueller. Bob? Thanks, Buzz. While everything about the Trump crisis is deeply abnormal and frustratingly opaque, we can often rest assured knowing that no matter what, Trump always makes things worse for Trump. The closest thing to normalcy in this ongoing sack full of monkeys is the predictability of Trump's lies and the assumption that the truth is the exact opposite of everything he blurts. Along those lines, it's a safe bet that Robert Mueller has successfully checkmated Donald Trump. We don't know for certain, of course, because we're mostly unaware of the precise nature of the special counsel's evidence against Trump, nor do we know exactly the complete scope of the Russia investigation. But we know enough today to backstop the conclusion that Trump lied his way into the dreaded perjury trap. First, we learned this week that Paul Manafort's attorneys have been in contact with Trump's attorneys, passing along valuable information about what Mueller's been up to, while also very likely coordinating their lies. Naturally, the Red Hats will scream fake news, if not for the reality that the source for the New York Times bombshell was none other than Rudy Giuliani who was quoted in the article. We also know that Mueller delayed a scheduled update for the judge in Manafort's case by around 10 days, during which time Trump submitted his written responses to Mueller's office. So it appears, at least, that Mueller might have delayed telling the court that Manafort has been lying and coordinating with Trump's lawyers in order to keep his awareness of the coordination quiet until after Trump submitted his answers. 
It's entirely possible, therefore, that Mueller set a trap for Trump to see whether Manafort's lies to investigators are duplicated in Trump's written responses. Imagine for a second the legal ramifications for Trump if both he and Manafort told the same lies to Mueller And then imagine if Mueller has both testimonial and documentary evidence to prove that Trump and Manafort lied. That'd be checkmate for both men, especially the president. Again, Trump's responses were presented in writing. Therefore, wiggle room for the president would remain minimal at best perjury trap successfully sprung. Then on Wednesday, we learned from CNN that Trump denied knowing about the infamous June 9, 2016 Trump Tower meeting in which Manafort, Jared Kushner, and Donald Trump Jr. met with Russian operatives to receive stolen information nabbed by agents working with Russian military intelligence about Hillary Clinton and the Democrats. Trump's denial was, in fact, included in his written responses to Mueller's team of untouchables. We should assume Trump is lying about that, too. In this case, as with so many others, there's evidence to back up our assumption. Between June 3 and June 7, 2016, we know from Don Jr.'s emails published by Jr. Online that the June 9 meeting was being planned and discussed by Jr. and Rob Goldstone, a flamboyant emissary for Eamon and Aris Agalarov. On June 6, Junior's phone records indicate he called a blocked number between two different calls with Agalarov. There was another longer call to the blocked number afterward as well. CNN noted that Corey Lewandowski once said Trump's home number was blocked. The number doesn't show up on caller ID and so forth. It's possible, therefore, that the so-called blocked calls were between Junior and Senior. The content and recipient of the phone calls are, of course, a bit speculative. What happened next, however, isn't nearly as speculative. Plans for the Trump Tower meeting were locked the next day, June 7. Junior told Rob Goldstone that the roster of Trump officials in the meeting, quote, will likely be Paul Manafort, my brother-in-law, and me, unquote. On the same day, June 7, Trump won the New Jersey primary. During his victory speech, Trump blurted this, quote, I am going to give a major speech on probably Monday of next week, and we're going to be discussing all of the things that have taken place with the Clintons. I think you're going to find it very informative and very, very interesting. Is it me, or does this sound like Trump was giving his disciples a sneak preview of what's coming up next on his show? Tune in Monday, same Trump time, same Trump channel, because we've got dirt on Hillary. Specifically, Trump announced that he had new dirt on Hillary on the same day the Trump Tower meeting was locked. And the date for the announcement of the dirt was set for Monday, June 13, the next possible viable day for a big scoop from the Trump team. Earlier this year, Michael Cohen confirmed that Trump knew about the meeting ahead of time. Junior apparently told Senior on or around June 8, prior to the official gathering. When he was told, Trump provided his green light for Manafort, Jr. and Kushner to move forward with the Russians. The upshot here is that Trump clearly knew about the meeting and, fast forwarding to the past couple of weeks, perjured himself about his knowledge of the meeting within his written answers to Mueller's questions about collusion slash conspiracy. It's also possible that Trump elaborated with details similar to Manafort's responses during questioning by the special counsel. 
This alone constitutes an entire array of federal crimes, perjury, conspiracy, witness tampering, obstruction, and so on. The only remaining questions here are, one, whether there's further evidence that Trump knew about and greenlighted the meeting, and two, whether Trump will be indicted for these crimes or whether criminality will be left up to the House Democrats. And ultimately, what began as an investigation into events that transpired beginning in 2016 has come down to stupidity and lies told within the last two months. The cover-up has amplified and augmented the seriousness of the crimes. Check and mate. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thanks, Bob. Get more of him at Salon.com, his Patreon page, and Tuesdays and Thursdays on the Bob Seska Show at RealmNetwork.com. Bob will have a fresh show this afternoon. I'll be back with him again on Tuesday. When a federal judge ruled against Trump's new policy of denying asylum claims to the migrants at the Mexican border, Trump lashed out. He said he'd file a complaint, a major complaint, he said. This was an Obama judge, and I'll tell you what, it's not going to happen like this anymore. We will win that case in the Supreme Court of the United States, he said. We do not have Obama judges or Trump judges, Bush judges or Clinton judges, replied the Chief Justice at the Supreme Court of the United States. What we have, spoke a traditionally quiet John Roberts, is an extraordinary group of dedicated judges doing their level best to do equal right to those appearing before them. In nicer words, Judge Roberts said that to call someone an Obama judge demonstrates a serious failure to understand what judges do. Since it was the day before Thanksgiving, Roberts added, that independent judiciary is something we should all be thankful for. Trump, of course, fired back, saying Obama judges have a, quote, much different point of view than the people who are charged with the safety of our country. And it ended there. Or did it? Never before had a Supreme Court chief justice rebuked a sitting president. But never before had there been a president like this one, someone who, among other things, seemed bent on destroying both law and order. The Trump administration's appealing, so the case now goes to the Ninth Circuit Court in San Francisco, which has repeatedly ruled against Trump's immigration policies, including his Muslim ban. You go to the Ninth Circuit and it's a disgrace, said Trump, and I'm going to put in a major complaint because you cannot win if you are us. This is why Trump plans to take the asylum fight all the way to the Supreme Court, which he believes he has in his pocket. And then he talked about breaking up the Ninth Circuit Court into three smaller circuit court systems. He should know he can't do that, not without Congress. But he talked about it. He talked about it in the context of his immigration policies, the latest of which included a mass denial of asylum to Hondurans seeking refuge from violence and poverty. Trump was furious when a judge said no. It was a major setback for his plans to keep out the criminals and gang members he continues to claim make up the bulk of the migrants at the border. Trump took out his anger against the justice system by authorizing the troops at the border to use deadly force in their support of border agents. Most of the troops are not armed, except for the coils of barbed wire they've strung across various border crossing zones. As the migrants overwhelmed the border's busiest port of entry, Trump closed it. Closed the border, that part of it. When migrants rushed the border in response to the closing, they were fogged with tear gas. 
barefoot and in diapers, migrant children ran or dragged to safety by their screaming mothers, gagging and choking. Shooting tear gas at children is not who we are as Americans, tweeted Democratic National Committee Chairman Tom Perez, adding, seeking asylum is not a crime. We must be better than this. But what Mexico sees as a humanitarian crisis, Trump sees as an invasion of criminals. Mexico has now agreed to a deal with the U.S. in which it will let the migrants wait in Mexico while their asylum claims wind their ways through American courts. This has never happened before. This is a major change in U.S. immigration policy. Trump, meanwhile, says he's prepared to shut down the entire border and the federal government if Congress won't give him $5 billion to build the wall he had falsely claimed Mexico would pay for. A budget vote to keep the government running comes up in December. The lame duck Republican leaders of the House have tried to talk him out of this tactic. They failed. The president has refused to back down. Quoting Trump, this would be a very good time to do a shutdown. The nearly 6,000 U.S. military troops at the border may be home in time for Christmas. The Trump-ordered operation that put them there, now nameless, expires on December 15th. If that holds, it will underscore the belief that the troops were sent to the border at a cost to taxpayers of well over $200 million as a pre-midterm election political stunt, not because there was a pending invasion of criminals and gang members who had walked the length of Mexico for their unarmed attack. The Guardian reports the drawdown of troops has already begun. In the meantime, a 30-day shelter for migrant children set up in June by the Trump administration is still open and growing. The Associated Press reports that this temporary shelter for as many as 360 migrant children now houses thousands of teenagers. Boys and girls between the ages of 13 and 17 are sleeping in rows of bunk beds in the canvas tents that were once shelter for the first responders in Hurricane Harvey. This tent city is starting to look more permanent than temporary. Construction continues. Over 1,300 teenagers have been dropped there just in the past two months, joining a nearly 1,000 others who were already there. The tent city at Tornillo, Texas, now has a bigger population than any one of nearly all of the country's 204 federal prisons. Quoting the AP report, not far from the dark fence marking the border between the U.S. and Mexico, the camp has rows of beige tents and golf carts that ferry staffers carrying walkie-talkies. It continues. Teens with identical haircuts and government-issued shirts and pants can be seen walking single file from tent to tent, flanked by staff at the front and back. AP reports it isn't likely the Trump administration will meet its goal of closing the Tornillo facility by New Year's Eve this 30-day facility that was opened in June. Many of the children fear they will miss Christmas in a place they're not even allowed to hug. 50 years of studies have shown that institutionalizing children in this way is traumatic for a lifetime. It's costing taxpayers around $12 million a week to keep this child prison up and running. And the Trump administration has waived screening procedures when it staffed Tornillo, there were no fingerprint checks on any of the 2,100 staff members, greatly increasing the risk that people with criminal histories have access to those children. 
It was the day after Thanksgiving when the U.S. government published the National Climate Assessment, as it does now every four years, to measure the current effects of climate change and what's predicted based on those trends. This year's 1,600-page document, compiled by a string of government agencies, found that climate change is already upon us and that it will soon wreak havoc with flooded coastal towns and drought-stricken crops in the Midwest. Some of the predictions of four years ago have already come to pass, and the report says the damage is, quote, intensifying across the country. Significant damage from climate change, says the report, is no longer just a prediction. It's here. Now. Hot enough for you? It used to get up to 100 degrees in Phoenix about 80 days each year. It clicked over to 100 days at the turn of the millennium, and it's predicted to be 120 to 150 days each year by the end of this century. The more days it's too hot to work outside, the more American productivity is hurt to the tune of more than $150 billion a year. And more people are dying from the heat. Our air grows more deadly with smoke and ozone pollution. 100 million people are breathing foul air, and doctors are treating more cases of hay fever, asthma, emphysema, and COPD. High tide flooding has become a daily risk in places like Miami and Charleston, South Carolina, threatening transportation and infrastructure, not to mention the ecosystems there. Sea levels are up by about nine inches during this modern industrial age. Hurricanes, along with other kinds of storms, have gotten more fierce. Record warm ocean temperatures made lobsters ready for harvest a month before the lobster industry was prepared for them this year. Droughts have hit parts of California that are now more heavily populated, causing shortages of drinking water. Wildfires have burned more than three and a half million acres of land. Groundwater in the Midwest is drying up. New York and New Jersey are still suffering the damages of Superstorm Sandy of six years ago. Underground tunnels for trains and cars flood regularly now, and they're still repairing underground wires and cables that were damaged en masse by Sandy. Like the U.S. military, these hundreds of scientists from 13 government agencies agree that food and water shortages around the world could lead to mass migration, famine, and shortage-induced wars. This new report goes further than the military assessment. It predicts chaos in world trade and damage to the world's economy. And it points out that overseas disasters that require U.S. aid put a heavy burden on American taxpayers. The U.S. economy, says the report, could shrink by 10% by the end of this century and impact twice as devastating as the Great Depression if big steps are not taken quickly to stop man's contribution to the cooking of the planet. It will cost hundreds of billions of dollars to move roads, bridges, and other infrastructure inland. And these are just some of the costs of doing nothing about man-made climate change. And the report says that although some localities are taking steps on their own, the nation is not prepared for what's to come. The Trump administration has consistently instead stood with the fossil fuel industry and consistently ignored the development of alternative energy sources as Trump withdraws the U.S. from the worldwide climate accord and blames wildfires made worse by climate change on a lack of raking. The report says the Earth's climate is changing faster now than it has at any point in modern civilization, mostly thanks to the activities of humankind. When asked about the dire climate report released on his watch, Trump replied, I don't believe it. 
people like myself, said Trump, we have very high levels of intelligence, but we're not necessarily such believers. Proving that his beliefs are based in ignorance, Trump had tweeted during a Thanksgiving cold snap in Washington, D.C., whatever happened to global warming? Days later, his own government answered that question in terms that were as clear as they were frightening. Facts aren't something we need to believe to make them true, says a climate scientist at Texas Tech, adding, we treat them as optional at our peril, and if we're the president of the United States, we do so at the peril of not just ourselves, but the hundreds of millions of people we're responsible for. Days before the government released its report, there was another in a respected academic journal that predicted by the end of this century, some parts of the planet could be juggling as many as six climate crises at once. Quoting the report's authors like a terror movie that is real. Likewise, the government report says time is running out. As for those wildfires, uh, the Trump administration has a plan. Scandal-plagued Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke says he hopes that California's deadly fires will lead to new legislation allowing for the thinning of the nation's forest lands by the lumber industry. That legislation's in a farm bill before Congress that allows for the removal of trees and brush and the building of more roads in the forests to accommodate industrial trucks. Three weeks after the midterm elections, the results were still trickling in. In the House, the Democrats have picked up an astounding 39 seats and probably 40. Probably because they're still counting in California's 21st congressional district. A recount there erased the 447-vote lead for the Republican incumbent and has now given a slight edge to his Democratic challenger, T.J. Cox. If Cox wins officially, Democrats will have won an astounding 40 seats, the most they have won since the midterms that followed the resignation of Richard Nixon. And then there's the Senate. Republicans now control that body by a six-vote margin, 53 Republicans to 47 Democrats. The latest addition is also beholden to the president, Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith, infamous for saying she'd like to be on the front row of a public hanging in a state known for its lynch mob hangings of African Americans, was the voters' pick in a runoff between her and an African American, Democrat Mike Espy. Hyde-Smith was also the president's pick, and he hers. When asked why people should vote for her, Hyde-Smith replied, Donald Trump? And Trump went to Mississippi to campaign for her, giving Hyde-Smith a full-throated endorsement even after her remark about public hangings. Mike Espy ran a mild campaign, hoping to win white votes and brought baggage of his own. Still, he ran a competitive race in what is clearly Trump country and what is clearly the Mississippi we have always known. Before bedtime Tuesday night, we knew that Trump's choice had won, handing the Republicans yet another vote in their Senate majority and another senator who owes the president a favor. And those who were wringing their hands about a divided Democratic majority in the House may have reacted prematurely. It now appears fairly certain that Nancy Pelosi will return to the job of House Speaker. In the words of a Democrat who'd campaigned against her and in favor of younger, more progressive leadership, now endorses her, saying, not only is there not a viable alternative right now, there's not an alternative. At least 16 House Democrats, many of them newly elected, wanted to take Dem leadership in a more progressive direction. 
Nancy Pelosi appears to be listening to the new blood. In the end, it is Pelosi who has the experience to affect the changes that progressives want. Pelosi's been called upon to groom a successor to signal she's finally ready to get out of the way with vocal Democrats who still want her replaced. As one observer put it, when you've just won the Super Bowl, you don't fire the coach. To put it more seriously, there's a lot on the table under this presidency. Still, there will be a serious effort to try to unseat Nancy Pelosi. But it was Pelosi who led the Democrats to win maybe 40 seats in the House. And it was Pelosi who saw to it that she would continue to lead the House Democrats for now. Pelosi's been officially nominated now, but with 32 no votes, the showdown vote comes in January. Pelosi and her supporters say she's got this. It was in a hearing before Congress in 1953 that words were spoken that would be repeated for a half century. As goes GM, so goes the nation. Charles Wilson was the CEO of General Motors at the time, and he was telling lawmakers that GM was such a big part of the U.S. economy, the country's economic health depended on GM. Even for those who had only heard that catchphrase once in their lifetimes, it was chilling this week to hear that GM was laying off a staggering 15% of its workforce, nearly 15,000 employees, closing seven of its plants, including five in North America, and discontinuing several of its sedans. Auto workers' union contracts come up for renegotiation next year. It's not unusual for a company to cancel plant closing plans and trade for concessions from the union. But this feels different. GM seems intent on reinventing itself to fit the future with technology and the kinds of vehicles people want. GM sedans weren't selling. Most customers want SUVs and trucks. And Trump's trade war tariffs had cut profits at GM and at a lot of other companies. As goes GM. GM says it wants to focus on electric vehicles and self-driving cars and says these moves free up $6 billion to restructure the company. It's dismissing a full 25% of its executive pool to streamline decision-making. It says it will rehire and retrain some of the idle workers for new jobs at the new GM. It was a business decision and investors approved, boosting GM stock by 5% for the day. Much of America, meanwhile, was taken aback, and the president, who promised Michigan the jobs, quote, are all coming back once he was elected, was furious. He picked up the phone and called Mary Barra, GM's current CEO. I spoke to her, says Trump, and I stressed the fact that I'm not happy with what she did. He tweeted about it, accusing GM of betting on China over the U.S. He also wrote, we are now looking at cutting all GM subsidies, including for electric cars. Yes, that was a threat. And no, he can't really do that because GM isn't getting any subsidies. New electric car buyers get a subsidy for buying any make of electric vehicle, but none of that goes to the car maker, including GM. The president of the United States was making an empty threat that he would get revenge with something he can't actually do. What Trump did was force the value of GM stock back down to about where it was before the dramatic announcement. What Trump may not know is that GM made the Cadillac that transports him, including the souped-up engine and the body that is bulletproof and bombproof, depending on the bomb. 
GM has a close partnership with the federal government at all levels. The various government agencies get their vehicles from GM, including the Suburbans used by the Secret Service. The Army is partnered with GM to develop a hydrogen-powered off-road truck, the Chevrolet ZH2. GM does not have as good a relationship with the president. CEO Mary Berra resigned Trump's economic council after he backed both sides in the Charlottesville violence. GM pushed back hard when Trump enacted his trade war tariffs on foreign metals. And now GM has offended Trump in a way he believes mocks his campaign promise to bring the car jobs back to Michigan. As he blusters and threatens, GM goes forward. And so goes the nation. The world has grown weary of Trump's trade war. That was never more clear than it was at the recent Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit. Every one of those gatherings has ended with an agreement by 21 countries. Not this year. Not with Vice President Mike Pence as dug into the Trump position as Chinese President Xi Jinping is in his so this year, for the first time since 1989, 21 countries left in disarray without a joint agreement. Each of those countries were being wooed and threatened by the U.S. on one side and China on the other when they usually all just work together. Quoting the Prime Minister of New Guinea, the entire world is worried. Trump's trade war has become the new Cold War. In other news this past week, a federal judge struck down a Mississippi law that banned abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Judge called the law unconstitutional, and that is a precedent for other states. The number of abortions in the U.S. hit an historic low in 2015, according to the newest numbers from the Centers for Disease Control. The report says fewer U.S. women are having abortions at any time since the Roe v. Wade decision. The CDC did not research a reason for the decline. Trump's Education Secretary Betsy DeVos has issued new rules governing the handling of on-campus sexual harassment and assault. These new rules remove some rights from accusers and increase the rights of the accused. It will now be harder to characterize some situations as harassment, and schools can now only investigate incidents that were part of campus activities and only if they were properly reported. The rules of evidence are now more restricted in those cases, and defense lawyers are now allowed to grill the accusers in on-campus sexual assault allegations. And one of these things is not like all the others. President Trump has thrown his support behind a criminal justice reform plan that's also backed by Mark Cuban and Patricia Arquette, but most importantly to Trump, by Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. Even Senate leader Mitch McConnell says he'll bring the bill up for a vote subject to other priorities. The FCC says it has a new plan to fight robocalls and spam texts on your cell phone. For one thing, the commission plans to build a national database of recently disconnected or reassigned phone numbers so businesses will stop dialing the wrong customers over and over. The second part of the plan, a bit more controversial, would let phone companies filter text messages they deem to be spam, a method prone to subjective and possibly biased judgment. It could be abused as a form of corporate censorship. 
Facebook took a public beating this week at a hearing for lawmakers from Canada, the U.K., France, and a half dozen other countries. Quoting the Canadian, while we were playing on our phones and apps, our democratic institutions, our form of civil conversation, seemed to have been upended by frat boy billionaires from California. You have lost the trust of the international community to self-police, said Privacy Committee Chairman Charlie Angus of Canada, adding, we have to start looking at a method for holding you accountable. Perhaps the best regulation, said Angus, would be to break Facebook up or treat it as a utility. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg didn't post for the hearing, which irritated the lawmakers immensely. Zuckerberg's been reluctant to show his face in the United Kingdom ever since that whole ugly Cambridge Analytica business. But the world's lawmakers say they are concerned that Facebook is ill-equipped to defend itself, its customers, or its countries from hostile governments. And on the subject of hostile governments, Russia this week rammed and fired upon Ukrainian Navy vessels and seized those boats. Russia's trying to cut off Ukrainian access to its own ports. Vladimir Putin seeing what he can get away with against a president who's not too keen on this whole NATO thing. Sex still sells. The return of the Romaine. Medical marijuana heals itself. And in Spain, as good as dead. In the third and final segment, up next. Life insurance can be intimidating and frustrating. And who wants to think about dying anyway? But having life insurance is a great feeling. Knowing your family won't have to start a GoFundMe to stay afloat. So how do you shop for the best deal or the best policy without a big hassle or a lot of red tape? Where do you start? Who do you trust? Do you do your own research? It all sounds risky and still boring, unless you go to policygenius.com. Even if you know nothing about insurance, PolicyGenius.com guides you to the policy that's right for you and in just two minutes. PolicyGenius does the work for you. Unbiased advisors comparing quotes from all the top companies to save you money. You get peace of mind knowing that over 4 million people have used PolicyGenius not just for life insurance, but home, auto, and disability insurance to protect your income. And all of it so easy. Stop putting off having the life insurance you know you need. Take two minutes on your phone right now to make the right decision for you and your family. PolicyGenius.com, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. It is now safe to eat the romaine lettuce, so long as it was grown in Florida, Texas, or anywhere outside the coastal farms of Central and Northern California. Federal investigators have now tracked down the source of the contamination. All new lettuce in stores and restaurants is safe to eat. Still no answers, though, on the outbreak of acute flaccid myelitis, the polio-like illness you've been hearing about. The number of AFM cases is now up to 116, with another 170 suspected cases. It has now spread to 31 states, nearly half the cases in Colorado. A survey found that nearly a third of all parents in the U.S., are skipping flu shots for the kids this year, even though the flu is most deadly to children, killing 179 of them last year while putting hundreds more into hospitals. 80% of all flu deaths occurred in children who were not vaccinated, but parents aren't getting or listening to the advice. 
Florida's attorney general is suing the two biggest drugstore chains in the U.S., Walgreens and CVS, over their alleged parts in the opioid crisis plaguing Florida and the nation. Florida was already suing Purdue Pharma and other companies that make OxyContin, accusing them, and now CVS and Walgreens, too, of not stopping suspicious prescriptions. CVS announced last year that it would limit all opioid prescriptions to a seven-day supply, making it the first major retail chain to do so. Physician Heal Thyself may also apply to medical marijuana. The first-ever chromosome map for cannabis shows it developed its THC and CBD as defenses against invading plant viruses. It was those immune-boosting compounds that saved weed from extinction, and the discovery will allow scientists to now breed plants that specialize in one malady or another in the appropriate strength. CBD is used to treat pain and anxiety. THC creates the high. Isolating these two ingredients will be a boon to medical marijuana from a plant that healed itself. Scientists have also found the gene that gives marijuana its flavor. That's a boon to the pot industry that labels what it sells. A Chinese scientist says a woman has given birth to twin daughters whose genetics were edited to protect them from the virus that causes AIDS. And he says a second woman is pregnant with her own genetically edited baby. It's a practiced band in most parts of the world for ethical reasons and because this is uncharted scientific territory. No one knows how the editing might affect these children 30 years from now or what effect it will have on their own offspring. The scientist says the women signed consent forms, but the forms only say they'll be the subject of a test of a new HIV prevention treatment. After scientists around the world condemned the project, China has now ordered the scientist to stop his work. People made fun of Hector Hernandez and his humongous beer belly, They stopped laughing when they heard it wasn't beer, it was cancer. Doctors have now successfully removed a 77-pound tumor from Hector's abdomen, who, by the way, has never been a big beer drinker at all. The doctor, who's used to removing 20 to 30-pound liposarcomas, says Hector's was the biggest he's ever seen. Hector feels and looks great now. No more jokes, just smiles. It's the ionic thrust that drives you insane. Can a thing that weighs more than air fly without propellers or a jet? As it turns out, it can, judging from the first ever solid-state airplane, which flew about 60 yards on its own with no moving parts. It's the creation of aeronautic scientists at MIT using a powerful electric field to generate nitrogen ions that expelled from the tail of the plane provide forward thrust. The lead scientist calls this principle ionic thrust, and it may be a way to cut the carbon footprint left by jets and airplanes. The U.S. landed on Mars this week. That's kind of a big deal. The unmanned spacecraft InSight landed on the Martian surface successfully, and that's saying something. NASA could only be so sure it could pull off a smooth landing, but InSight touched down on Mars at a gentle 5 miles an hour after slowing from its approach speed of 12,000 miles an hour. InSight is now drilling 16 feet into the Martian soil to find out why a planet that started out so much like ours evolved so much differently. NASA satellites are also studying Mars, and in 2020, NASA plans to send another rover to look for the building blocks of life. 
In the meantime, one NASA official described Insight's extraterrestrial landscape as like Kansas without the corn. Termites, a megalopolis of termites, has been discovered in Brazil, a series of termite colonies the size of Great Britain. You can see them on Google Earth. Termite mounds rising up to 10 feet in the air. The mounds are the biggest structures ever built by a creature other than man. Scientists estimate this massive colonization of termites dates back 4,000 years. The creator of the beloved SpongeBob SquarePants died this week. Stephen Hillenburg was only 57 years old when taken by ALS, which he had battled for some time. He was a marine biologist by trade, but an artist at heart. As teaching tools, he created the fictional land of Bikini Bottom and created characters and wrote stories. His inspiration was a sponge on a popsicle stick that grew arms and legs and pants and who wanted to be everybody's friend. It spawned a TV series on Nickelodeon that produced 242 episodes and three movies. The third one is still on the way, along with a Broadway musical and the icon on your kid's backpack. SpongeBob, by the way, came very close to being named SpongeBoy until a mop company pointed out that it owns that name. Their loss, we got SpongeBob. And although creator Steven Hillenburg is gone, as with so many great artists, his work and his SpongeBob will live on. Animation broke the box office this week. Ralph Breaks the Internet was the top movie with $56 million in North American ticket sales. The Grinch was third with $30 million. In between, Creed II with $35 million. Hollywood has spent the summer breaking records, scoring $10 billion in record time. From Black Panther and A Quiet Place to Avengers Infinity War, Venom, Halloween, and A Star is Born, it was hit after hit for the movie industry. Still on the way, Aquaman and Mary Poppins returns as Hollywood shoots for a blockbuster season that lasts the whole year, not just through the summer and at Christmas. Higher ticket prices were a factor in the bigger profits, too, uh, along with the success of ticketing services like Fandango. There's a Fandango link at buzzburbank.com with previews, theaters, showtimes, and tickets. Clicking and bookmarking that link helps support this program. Director Bernardo Bertolucci won nine Oscars just for his film The Last Emperor. His style of movie-making enamored Hollywood, but he lost some fans with the Marlon Brando film Last Tango in Paris about a misogynist who, among other things, rapes the woman who loves him. That movie also earned an X rating which isn't profitable for Hollywood. Bernardo Bertolucci died at his home in Rome. He was 77. Passings and passages as well in the music world. British rocker Billy Idol this week officially became a U.S. citizen, tweeting, it's a nice day for a naturalization ceremony. He starts his residency at a Las Vegas casino next year. Snoop Dogg this week got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And Grammy-winning country artist Roy Clark died at his home in Tulsa this week of pneumonia at age 85. Clark, who hails from the Northeast, not from the South, made his first guitar out of a cigar box and the head of a ukulele. Clark was best known for his picking and grinning on the comedy variety TV series Hee Haw, but he also had a recurring role on the Beverly Hillbillies and occasionally sat in for Johnny Carson as host of The Tonight Show. Roy Clark's passing brought tributes from Brad Paisley, Keith Urban, and Dolly Parton, who said of Clark, his spirit will never die. Say, those 
Traffic speed cameras are amazing. Temporary cameras installed near a crosswalk in a small town in Italy photographed a lot of speeders in just two weeks. 58,568 speeders, to be exact, through a town of just 120 people. The mayor says he'll make the cameras permanent now. A couple of Utah teenagers went for a joyride last week in a single-engine Cessna they stole from a private airstrip. They flew about 15 miles before making a safe landing near the Colorado border. Because the plane was parked at an airstrip in rural eastern Utah, the boys had stolen a tractor to get to it. This is your captain sleeping. A commercial Australian pilot is under investigation after falling asleep in the cockpit of his cargo plane and overflying his island destination by nearly 30 miles. In Texas, a realtor was having a hard time selling a great house, fenced yard, nice lawn, shiny hardwood floors, big open kitchen. It was perfect for a young couple, but young couples and everyone else were failing to buy it. The house is in Conroe, Texas, which experienced flooding after Hurricane Harvey. The house survived beautifully, but no one was buying. So the realtor hired young, attractive fitness models, a man and a woman, to pretend to be living in the home as they walked around semi-nude in underwear and the like. These photographs were posted as part of the home's listing online. People started looking at the listing, and by the tens of thousands, sex still sells. A Hawaiian burger chain has closed its Honolulu location after a social media video that appears to show a rat being cooked on the restaurant's grill. The restaurant has been closed for cleaning. Would you like fries with rat? In California this week, a horse was rescued from a swimming pool. The horse had apparently jumped into the pool to escape the flames of the deadly campfire. The pool cover acted as a float which kept the horse from drowning. The owners returned and walked her up the pool steps. In Britain, SPCA workers built a tiny little ladder to rescue a hamster that had been trapped inside a pipe for nearly a week. How do you get a tiny creature out of a tiny vertical pipe? With a tiny ladder, of course, cut from a sheet of old wire mesh. Police in Germany caught an 18-year-old doing 60 in a 30 with other young people in the car. Police suspended the young man's license for a month, after which he can attend training classes before getting back his license. He was stopped 49 minutes after getting his driver's license. In Arizona, an excited father was ready to reveal the gender of the baby his wife was about to bear. He invited friends and family to watch him fire his rifle at a target filled with a small amount of the explosive tannerite, which can be detonated with a fired bullet. If the cloud it produced was blue, the baby would be a boy, pink, a girl. He fired. He was overjoyed. The small crowd gathered for the gender reveal cheered. And then their cheers turned to horror as the explosion started a grass fire that spread to some trees and the air began to fill with the smell of Texas mesquite. The fire burned about 73 square miles of land and forced 200 people out of their homes. The rifle-toting dad to be told his local paper, I feel absolutely horrible about it. He's also a U.S. Customs and Border Patrol agent. By the way, it's a boy. Soccer clubs across the Leinster Senior League of Ireland stood together in silence over the weekend to honor the memory of a player they'd heard had died in a car wreck the week before. 
The players' team postponed its game while the other teams held a moment of silence at theirs. Just one thing, Fernando La Fuente wasn't dead. He was in Spain. And finally, in Amsterdam, Dutch police found about $400,000 worth of euros along with a money-counting machine, some cell phones, and a gun. The money was hidden inside a washing machine in what is clearly a case of money laundering. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thanks for listening and supporting my sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by the Realm Network.